Hey, good morning, everyone. So good to see you, man. Uh, so I'm really excited to be sharing a message with you in a second. Just by, um, before we do, by way of introduction, let me tell you um, a little bit about uh, something really exciting happening uh, for, for in, in, in my life as of uh, next week. Next, uh, we are part of, as Common Ground, part of a family of churches called Advance. And every two years, we have a conference, a global conference, where, um, where, where the kind of, advo- it's what ties us together as a movement called Advance. We normally host that conference in Cape Town. Um, and so you've got about 150 churches around the globe, part of this family called Advance. Um, and every two years, we have a conference where the, the um, sort of lead elders, uh, eldership couple in every church go and, and, and have this extraordinary conference together. Normally, we host this in Cape Town, as I said, called Global. And uh, we were scheduled to host it in uh, May uh, this year here in Cape Town. And uh, then Omicron came along. And um, the whole world just kind of said, well, well we can't do this. And so the conference has moved to um, Bournemouth in England. And so to, tomorrow, uh, unfortunately, um, we've, we tried really hard for Lauren and I to be able to go and be a part of that. But um, not South African home affairs. Unfortunately, English home affairs uh, have bungled Lauren's um, passport. Um, and so, Lauren, uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you tomorrow. And we're very sad about that. But I'm going to be heading off to the UK for two weeks, um, starting on tomorrow and coming back the two weeks' time Tuesday. I'll be preaching next week in Plymouth um, in a church there, an advanced church, and the following week in a, another congregation in Plymouth as well. So pray for me as I'm there. We get to serve broader. But, but you've got to imagine what happens. All these different stories come together. And so I've set aside the following Sunday after at the Advanced Global Conference, which I'll be preaching. I have no idea what I'm going to be preaching about, but my mission is to bring back something from that conference to come and share with us how we're doing as a movement, what is God saying to us as a movement, and what can we learn and where are we going as a movement together. And so just a bit of context for where I'll be the next two weeks um, and uh, what I'm hoping to bring back the third week from now as we do that. Um, and so, yeah, looking forward to that, uh, serving in that context and learning a lot from others as well. Um, but I'm really, really excited to be uh, preaching through James. Hey, one last thing I wrote down a note here I wanted to speak to as well. Wasn't it amazing as we were worshiping, just the sense in which God was ministering and speaking to us. And Viv, I mean, I, t- I turned to Mark to say, uh, in that moment, I turned to Mark to say, is God saying something to you? Have you got something to bring to us? I feel there's something stirring in me. And as I turned around to speak to Mike, that up came you, Viv. You were walking in that very moment and spoke exactly what needed to be said then. And Mike was, was stirring in his heart. Uh, that happened as well. I just want to, I want to stop and mark that because we really do believe that God does speak to us in our gatherings together. That as we gather and we come together, that God is with us. We, we, we're not just a bunch of people gathered here doing our thing. But God himself presences himself in our midst. And, and we as, as believers whom, in whom God dwells and lives, God, God can speak to us. Now, now I, I, for some, if you're new to the church, that might be a little bit unnerving. I, I get it. But, but really, we believe God is here with us and that he still speaks to his people today. And in this gathering, as we were worshiping, that was something that took place. Viv, your word was so bang spot on this morning for what I'm sharing about um, today as we go through hardships and trials, learning to trust and be at peace in the, in the will and plan of God. And personally, Lauren and I have been grappling with some things that what you just shared today spoke exactly to where our lives are at. And we receive and hear that word. So all that to say, when we gather and we worship, we're worshiping upwards towards Christ. But there's also a sense in our hearts that's saying, as we direct our worship to you, God, would you still speak to us as well? And uh, we, we were part of that today. And so anyway, 
If you're new to church, my name is Luke. If you're joining us online and I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Come if you can next week. I, I won't be here uh, t- in three weeks' time. Anyway, where are we at? Um, enough, enough, enough. Okay, it's time to get on. We're, we're, we're in the book of James. This is week four in our series through the book of James. Um, by way of introduction, let me tell you a story. Um, I, heard, I heard it told recently. There was a man who was desperately trying to lose weight. He was a Christian man, and uh, he, he had a particular weakness and vulnerability, and that was for donuts. The problem was, every day on the way to work, he would drive past the donut store, right? Until one day he did business with Jesus. He said, Jesus, this is it. I'm going to break free from this, right? And so Monday comes, he was doing so well. No donuts. Tuesday, drove straight past. Wednesday, drove straight past. But Thursday morning, woke up and thought, oh, I've been doing so well, Lord. Oh, so well. Lord, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, God. If there is a parking space open right in front of the donut store, right? Right there. Just, just like, only if it's right there, then, then I'll know it's a sign from you that I can go in, Right? And so off he, on the eighth time he circled the block, the parking space was open, right? Today I want to talk about facing temptation. Right? We're grappling with James. We're talking about trials. And James is so brilliant. He's, he's speaking about trials that we go through. Um, and in the midst of the trial, often there is a temptation as well. And so James begins to speak through this as he leads us through this. It's a mini-series. We're doing five weeks through the first chapter of the book of James, and we've called it A Faith That Grows Through Trials. A Faith That Grows Through Trials. Trials have a way of growing us, don't they? There's things that happen as we go through hardships that, that, that form us as human beings into Christ-likeness that, that actually those lessons we can't learn any other way than going through hardships. In fact, you know this as well as I do. Some of the finest people that you and I know and, and meet are people who've been through some of the most difficult things that we know. And somehow they've come through this and they are better people because of this. And so James is writing to a group of Christ followers in the midst of some really tough hardships. And he's giving them a theology, if you will, a theology for tough times. And I know, I know this as a pastor, I know this, that some of these, these truths can be hard to hear if you're in the middle of a trial. But I also know James is writing them Two people who are going through incredible, incredible difficulties. And so I'm trusting that Christ would minister to you personally as we go through this message today, as we look at God's word. God intends trials to come as they come into our lives, as he allows them, he intends them to bring us good. And so we saw in this series, a faith that grows through trials, first, perseveres toward maturity. Second, it seeks wisdom, it draws wisdom from the good God. It, it, the faith that grows through trials, as Donnie spoke to us two weeks ago, has an identity that is rooted in the gospel and not our circumstances. An identity that's rooted in Christ and not our, not our wealth, not our poverty, uh, an identity that is rooted in the gospel. And before we go into today's message, I, I, I just need this, to be, um, I need this to be in the bank. We're talking about a gospel identity. James is writing to brothers and sisters who have been washed by the word of Christ, who've been purified and made alive to God and through, the, through believing the gospel. And Jesus has made them um, whole in, in Christ and brought them into the family of God. And so James writes these things to children of God who have been made holy in the gospel and made clean in Christ and brought into the family. And so he's not writing these things to believers so that they can earn their way in. He's writing saying, now that you're in the family, now that you've been made new in Christ, this is how I want you to live, right? Because you have an identity that is formed by the gospel, 
Now live this way. Does that make sense? Because if we, we forget that, we can get so caught up into, okay, so these are the things that I have to do to make Jesus like me and accept me. This is not that. James is saying, you're in, therefore live like you belong, you know, live out where you belong. And so let's read together from verse 12 to verse 15 as we grapple with the subject of temptation. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. God wants to bring us blessing and life through the hardships we face. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured, keyword, and enticed by his own desire. And when, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, grows and brings forth death. Let's pray together. Christ, as we come before your word, we ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us in our lives today. I pray you would minister to every heart here today, Christ. As we grapple with your word, that you would speak personally to where each of us are at, Lord pray you'd dispel some myths that we've come to believe in our culture and that you would illuminate your truth and lead us towards the life that you promise us in verse 12 that is there for us, Jesus. Ask this in your name, Christ. Amen. The big idea for today's message, a faith that grows uh, through trials knows where it's vulnerable to temptation. A faith, a Christ follower who grows through trials knows where he or she is vulnerable to temptation. Although God brings trials into our lives and allows them at times to bring us to maturity and life, our sinful desires, James says, can turn a trial for our good into a temptation. And temptation, James says, leads to sin, and sin leads to death. And so today we're going to explore a little later uh, temptation's source and temptation's course in our lives. But the bottom line is every trial that you and I face face in our lives is either an opportunity to grow toward Christ-likeness or a temptation to, to sin. It's a fork in the road, if you will. And the key factor that determines which way this trial goes is our response in the midst of a trial. The, the same trial can be experienced by one person as a gateway towards growth and maturity, uh, experienced by another person uh, as a gateway towards sin in our lives. And the determining factor is our response. And James says what determines our response is the desires that are at work in our hearts. One of the things he draws our attention to here is he says the key in your trial is you have to trust in the goodness of God. Although your circumstances change, God's nature never changes. And it's tempting in the midst of a trial to forget that, isn't it? It's tempting when hard things happen in life to forget God's goodness. The reality is when the trial and hardships come our, our way, we, we can be tempted to forget what God is truly like. And I wonder if when James is writing these words to these Christ followers, it makes sense when you look at his words that, that there were some in their number who had become bent out of shape through the hardships that they were facing, that they'd fallen away from God. There were some in their number who had made some decisions in the midst of the hardships they were going through where they walked away from God. And I, th I think something of the reasoning in their minds might have been something like this. God, after this thing that you allowed to happen in my life, are, are you... Can you really be trusted, God? Are you really good? 
And James is writing, I think in part in this letter, to coach struggling believers who are going through hardships around, uh, around how to navigate through trials. And, and, and one of the things he says, verse 13, he says, don't lose sight of who God is. Don't forget who God is in the midst of your hardship. Verse 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself tempts no one. I think James is trying to combat the logic of, well, God, you allowed this trial to happen in my life. And whilst I was under the low point of the pressure of this trial, I was tempted and I gave in. And so therefore, God, it's your fault that this happened, that I did this thing in the midst of the trial. Perhaps they were tempted to blame God. Maybe to justify their sin because of the disappointment they experienced. And so this trial, God, that you've allowed uh, is the reason I've given into temptation. Do we ever think like that? Hey? Maybe not you guys, but certainly I, I know in my life. For example, God, if you had just brought me a spouse when all my friends got one, I would never have. God, if you made my spouse a little cleaner in the bedroom, I wouldn't have such a problem with porn. No, I wouldn't, God. I wouldn't be so far down the road in this relationship with my work colleague who just really seems to get me. God, if you hadn't put all these hormones in me, I think back to my teenage self. God, if you hadn't allowed this thing to happen, maybe this sale to go through, this deal to be made, uh, if you hadn't stopped me from making this decision... I wouldn't be so bitter with unforgiveness and resentment. And James is addressing this kind of thinking because it's so unhelpful. And, 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 and frankly, James says it's dangerous. And he's trying to, to rescue believers who are in this pattern of thinking in the midst of their hardship before the plane sort of crashes. He's saying, pull up, pull up. No, 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 stop and think about God differently. Because the first thing he wants us to know is that when we think along these lines, God, because you allow, therefore you must be this. When we start to think along these lines, we fail to grasp the purity and the goodness of God. We've shrunk God's goodness and we've tainted his, his goodness um, to, to think that that's the kind of God that he is, when in fact he is absolutely not a God who leads us into temptation. James is emphatic about this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no, no one. He says God who is 100% pure good is incapable of tempting us because he is so good. He is so pure. Evil does not even, there's not even a drop of evil inside of God's heart and his mind. He cannot possibly therefore be tempting us. Tempta tempting believers is, is incompatible with who God is. And so James st stops, he says, before you even go down that road, I want, you to, I want you to have a correct way of understanding what God is like. In fact, the specific tense in the Greek in verse 13, when he says, for he himself tempts no one, the tense of that means that God never tempts his people at any time. It's, it's, it's just, it may allow a trial for our good to grow and mature us. The goal from God's side is never temptation towards sin. What a broken picture James has to address in the life of these believers who, who, who can start to think that God deliberately places obstacles in our path to trip us up and lead us into temptation. God is, God is only good, and therefore God is incapable of tempting us. And, and James wants to bank this. And so the question then becomes, well, if God is not tempting us and God is not tempting us to sin, then, then, then where does temptation come from? 
And James continues by answering this question, verse 14. So we start to explore temptation's source. Where does temptation come from? But each person is tempted when he is lured or enticed by his own desire. And now we start to explore temptation's source and temptation's course. Temptation's source. Each person is tempted when we are lured or enticed away by our own desire. The root of our temptation is disordered desires that are alive and at work in our heart. Within your heart, within my heart, there are desires and longings. Some of them shallow, some of them way, way deep down. Some of them admitted, some of them even unadmitted. Things that we want, things that we long for, things that we lust for, things that we desire that are outside of the will and the ways of God. These desires, I'm calling them disordered desires, where where they're elevated above their proper place in our lives. Sometimes they're desires for good things, but when we make those good things our ultimate thing, then they become disordered. They they, They have disproportionate power in our lives. And these are things, James says, that we've allowed to live within us. They become part of who we are. And at a deep level, even part of what we love as Christ followers, as human beings. And James says these, tri- these, these, these desires are kind of laying in wait for the trial to come. Where they rear their heads. When we're vulnerable. I heard the story recently. Um, and uh, and Mitch, Mitch told it to Lauren, I think, at worship practice. And, uh, and Mitch and Candice uh, shared the story. I asked him if I could share it. But uh, Mitch, like many people, was just a bit of a phobia for snakes, right? Don't, don't bring a snake near, near Mitch or, or Lauren for, for that matter. Don't even bring it near her. Uh, the opportunity of, or the option of bringing a pet snake into our home is just never an option. Um, and, um, and so I heard the story where Mitch says, you know what, my, my boy, he's just desperate uh, for a snake. And it's about time I get over my fear and I'm going to get this pet snake and bring it into my home. And so it gets the snake and the little fish, you know, et cetera, and the snake's there. And there's set rules about the snake, Right. You know, you don't open it when, 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 when I'm not here. I need to oversee this thing well, right? Except one day a couple of friends come around for a bra and they're hanging out and one thing leads to another and they go back through the bedroom and the lid is open and the snake is gone. So, so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do here? I mean, you, you, it's time to man up as dad, right? And you get your stick or your net or whatever it is, and you go looking. And he said he took every single item of furniture, looked in every nook and cranny and every corner, and could not find the snake. Six weeks later, <laughs> curled up in the bookshelf, in a little basket, they found the snake. And then, weeks later, discovered a shed skin up on top in another bedroom behind the luggage hidden away there, right? This snake had been for weeks just been cruising around through the house unbeknownst to them, unseen, doing its thing. Now, I'm sorry if you have a phobia for snakes and I took you down that way. Okay. What's the problem here? There is a snake alive in the house that is going around. You know what I mean? It's scary, waiting to pounce. And James is in a sense saying here, that these desires that are at work in our hearts are like snakes that we allow to just cruise around in our lives, waiting for a moment to pounce venomous snakes in our lives. 
You and I allow them to live within us. They become part of who we are. When we don't repent of them, when we don't acknowledge them and expose them and deal with those things, they become their disordered desires that lurk and that wait there. And when, when hardships come, when grief comes, when we're in the struggle, those things are there. And, and they can rear their heads. And suddenly, a trial for your good becomes a temptation that you can fall to. Uh, there's two metaphors that James uses here. One is from fishing, when he uses the word lured. The other one is enticed, it's from hunting. Neither of those metaphors have an happy ending, right? The image is simple and clear. There is bait on a hook, and it ends with somebody roasting on the fire, right? That is what James is saying. These desires that are lurking in our hearts... They make us vulnerable to, t- to temptation, which is why when you think about it, Jesus never fell to temptation when he was tempted. You think back to Matthew 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness where he fasts and he doesn't eat for 40 days um, and 40 nights. In fact, we read together from Matthew chapter 4, verse 2 to 4. You can read the whole uh, chunk to v- verse 11 if you like. Um, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. I love the just obviousness of that, right? <laughs> He hadn't eaten for 40 days, he was hungry, right? He's in a trial, he's, he's weak, he's vulnerable, he's in a trial. It's a trial of fasting and being in the wilderness. And the tempter came to him, Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's another series of temptations that continue through this. But the bottom line is the tempter comes to Jesus and whispers these lies to get him to do stuff. And and, and what, what happens is Christ doesn't fall victim to temptation. Why? Because there is no disordered desire in his heart. He is completely pure. He is completely good. He's completely holy and completely aligned to God. And so temptation comes and it just, there's no traction in his heart. It's incredible to watch, um, just to witness this. Christ, who is pure, finds no traction to temptation in his life. But it's not the case with you and I, is it? It's certainly not the case with me. Maybe, maybe, maybe not, you guys are further down the line than me, but certainly in my life, temptation finds traction. Why? James is saying because of the desires that lurk in our hearts. Each person, he says, is enticed by his own desires. See that word each and you see own. Each person is enticed by his own desire. I want to point these words out to us. You and I, each person, their own desires. You, you have a unique vulnerability that is unique to you. It is based on your desires. Where one person is strong, another person could be weak. Where that person is strong, though, someone else could be weak. There is a uniqueness to each of these because of the desire that lurk in our own hearts. One person drives past a casino and doesn't even think of going in, right? Another person drives past a casino and their hands start shaking on the steering wheel, right? Each person has desires and longings within their own hearts that we've allowed there that, 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 that we are particularly vulnerable. So what's the implication here? We need to know our own vulnerabilities, We need to know our own vulnerabilities. Like a sports team who analyzes their own weaknesses, right? Any coach who's coaching a sport needs to analyze his team to know where are we vulnerable. If I was the animal, enemy, animal, if I was the enemy, where would I be attacking our, our defense, right? Where are we? You need to know your weak spots. So ask yourself this question. If the devil were to tempt me, in the midst of a hardship, where would he start? Where, is the, where am I vulnerable? Because the truth is, guys, the tempter has watched your game tape. 
if you do not know these things, you become particularly vulnerable. Because not only do you have a vulnerable spot, but you're naive to what that is. And you have not, you're not able then to take measures to safeguard that. And so, so ask yourself this question, where am I vulnerable to temptation? Guys, all of us are. It's so helpful to remember that, that better men and women than you and I have found themselves in worse situations through choices they've made than you and I, right? We've got to stay humble in this. Better, there's a part of my heart heart as a pastor who grieves when I see church leaders who fall and stumble. And sadly, we see that regularly enough. But but, so there's a sense of anger, and absolutely, it's righteous, it's appropriate, it's right, you know. But there's also a sense in me that has to remember these. No one woke up and thought, today I'm going to throw my life away. These things gradually happen. And better men than me have made worse mistakes than me. We've got to, we've got to build in these safeguards. So answer the question. If, you were to be, if the devil was to tempt you, where would he start tempting you? Write it down. And then the second thing is take practical steps. You know, Take practical steps. If your vulnerability is to your phone or if your vulnerability is uh, uh, the donut store on the way to work, find a different route. You know what I mean? Let, let's, let's do practical things to, to, to insulate our lives whilst we deal with these desires and bring them under the power of Christ. And the second thing is let's ask others, brothers and sisters, to stand with us. Part of the power of your and my vulnerability is that it's secret. No, we haven't let people into that part of our lives. But the moment you let someone in and you say, hey, come check in with me. I want to be open about this thing. I'm a, I'm a, I have a gospel identity, so I don't have to pretend that I've got it all together. As Christ followers in Common Ground Church, we are not the perfect people in this society. We are the people who have been saved by God's grace, who are broken and sinful, and God loved us so much that he died on a cross to rescue us and redeem us and bring us to new life. So we don't have to pretend, look how amazing we are. I've got it all together. Look at me. My marriage is perfect. My life is perfect. It's all good. Just No, that's not us. We have a gospel identity, not a moralistic one. And so we don't have to put up pretenses. Hey, I'm flawed. This is what's broken in me. Will you stand with me as minister God's grace to me as as I navigate through this? I need you with me. That's who we are. And so James is calling us to take responsibility for the desires that we allow to lurk in our hearts. These desires, if left unchecked, could be lurking there for a long, long time, long before the trial comes, and they lead to our temptation. Notice where James doesn't say the source of our temptation is, and it's, I think, the place where if you're anything like me, we're most tempted to go to, right? We always want to point to the source of my temptation is somebody else, right? Or something else. We always want to deflect responsibility in our temptation. Everything in the human condition wants to blame somebody else. These guys probably want to blame God. You think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve saying, "Um, it was the serpent made me do it. And and then Adam saying, it was God, the, the woman that you gave me, God. She made me do it. Everybody wants to blame everybody else. It's the temptation. Even the devil made me do it. That doesn't even stand there. James doesn't, say, doesn't start there. He says, no, no, it's your heart. You have to take responsibility for what you allow to live within yourself. Temptation's source. Temptation's course is very sobering. Where does temptation lead to? Now look at Temptations Course, verse 15. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James gives us a very vivid life cycle description of sin, beginning with desire, moving into sin, and ultimately culminating in death. James uses the metaphor of conception and birth here. You see, desire is first there, conceiving and giving birth to this little baby called sin. Then sin doesn't stay a little baby. It grows up. And, and, and grown up, it has a name. And James says that name is death. It starts so small and it slowly grows. And the more and more it grows, the more destructive it comes in our lives. And ultimately, it's death. Many times when you and I are tempted, we don't experience it as a, gin- a ginormous fork in the road, right? These are often incremental little steps that we take. Little by little. Little by little, slowly drifting away. Johnny Greek said this. He said, no, no ship ever drifts into like peaceful waters, right? When, you, when, you, when you're drifting, you, you drift into a reef or a wave or a sandbank or something, right? These are little drifts that we kind of make away from God. So don't be deceived, James says. There's no such thing as a harmless sin. The ultimate destination of sin is death. And it's your death and my death. Centuries ago, there was an English monk, lived 700 or so, in the 700s, an English monk whose name was Bede. Um, and he became known as the Venerable Bede. I just love that name. My name's Bede, but my friends call me Venerable Bede. He suggested there were, there were three stages to sin, the, vulnerable, the Venerable Bede. He said, number one is suggestion. Number two is experiment. And the third one is consent. Once we've reached consent, in James's words, we're being dragged away. We're being enticed with an apple in our mouths, waiting to be put and roasted on the fire. I want to sober us as a community. I hope you can hear in my, in my, in my tone, in my heart. I want to sober us as a community. We, we, we live in an age where truth has become so relative. There's no truth. There's no absolute truth. Our culture believes to a large extent. Um, and so you, you do you and I do me. And you have your truth and I have my truth, right? And, 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 and sin really is anything maybe that gets in the way of what I really want to do in expressing myself in our culture. It's, it's very, and so, so it's very easy for that to creep into a church. In a culture like that, what happens in a church is we fail to call sin, sin in our lives as, as friends. We fail to, we, even the word saying sin, I've, you heard, I've deliberately said it a lot in this message. And, and every time I say it, I think there's a part of our hearts that cringe a little bit. Do we, do we even use that word anymore? You know? We do. Because James says, ultimately, sin is sin, and it leads to death. And guys, we need to be the kind of people who forge the kind of relationships in our life groups where we can address these things together, where as mates, we can say to each other, hey, I've noticed this thing in your life. And, 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 and not kind of like, oh, you know, we don't go there because we, we just... We, we, we just, we do fun stuff together, you know, we don't really get to the serious, you know, don't judge each other, whatever, 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 you know, all those, those things that we take out of context and we create a culture whereby we never challenge each other, we never really have these hard conversations. James is saying, rubbish, this is absolute rubbish, this thing is dangerous, sin leads to death. What kind of friends are we if our friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our community, are being enticed and lured away? towards something that ultimately ends in death, and we kind of just 
just cool, let's just chat nicely. And we never get to go there because we're so afraid that we're going to offend people. That's not, we will never become the people that God calls us to become if we live in a kind of culture of low challenge, of weakness. Now, I'm not advocating for let's become the moral police. Please, please, that will squash the life of God in us as a church. Absolutely. But I'm advocating for a love that genuinely loves others enough to risk and from time to time have those tough conversations in order to win someone back toward Christ, away from this life cycle pattern of sin. Does that make sense? It's hard today, guys. In our culture, we're not encouraged to do this. We we live in a cancel culture. Somebody says something unlike, we just delete them, you know, unfriend them. No, no, I don't have to see them anymore. Not so for us as a people. Again, hear the caution, let's not become the moral police. But let's genuinely have these kinds of conversations because James says the stakes are high. Sin is sin and it leads to death. Let's interject and let's have these conversations in love and in grace to win one another, not to heap judgment and condemnation on one another, but let's be a people who in our life groups have these sorts of conversations. Okay, let's continue. Sorry, I just felt to stay there a little bit longer. Um, where are we? This metaphor helps us make a, makes a helpful distinction as well. There's a distinction between temptation and sin, right? Uh, in conception, it's temptation which grows into sin. So there's a distinction between temptation and sin. All of us will face temptation. And just because you're being tempted, it doesn't mean you're out of God's will. Uh, unfortunately, temptation is part and parcel of human life. Um, we shouldn't feel guilt when we are being tempted, We shouldn't feel shame when we're being tempted. We feel guilt when we succumb to temptation and when we yield to its power, for sure. But there's a distinction in our lives between being tempted and giving ourselves over to temptation. So so, so don't feel guilty when you're battling temptation. You, you You know, this is part of life. Stand firm. It's okay. Invite your mates to stand with you. Draw wisdom from God, as James says, to enable you to navigate that. There's nothing wrong with facing temptation. You're not out of alignment with God's will. It's it's when you cross the line, as the venerable Bede says, into going down that path. And so um, I do think, though, as you mature... In, in Christ, you, certain things, you won't find the same thing tempting all the time. I think uh, sin should begin to revile us more and more, the more mature we get as Christ followers. And so we need to, and today part of what I'm wanting to do is recognizing sin for what it is in our life. And knowing that, um, we sang that song, um, every knee will bow before him. There is a day coming when Christ will return and every knee will bow before him. The whole world will come into alignment around the, who God is. And in that moment, something so profound will happen inside you and I. Sin ultimately will be put to death. And, uh, and, and there's a sanctifying work that's happening progressively in my life and your life now, which I think ultimately there'll be a moment where that's completed in Christ. And, and you will look upon those same things that were so hard to say no to now. And they will lose all of their appeal. I long for that day. When sin's power within us is completely extinguished. When our desires will be 100% pure and 100% holy. holy. And the same things that trip us up now will just revile us then. 
Because God's sanctifying life, a work in our lives, is finally wrought and complete. In the meanwhile, draw wisdom from God. Draw wisdom. God, what, what should I do? God, I'm trusting you. Know that God is good. Involve, do practical things to, to, to help you to, you know, don't drive past the donut store on the way to work. Do pra- whatever that looks like for you in the midst of your thing. And involve other people by breaking sin's power of secrecy. Okay, so what must we do? Let's just put this all together. Wise up and know your weaknesses. Know your weaknesses. What are your weaknesses? The Christ follower who wants to grow through their trials knows where you're vulnerable to temptation, takes practical steps, and invites others into that space. Is there someone who you know and trust and who loves you who knows where you're most vulnerable and weak? Or are you standing that one all on your own? Take a second. Answer it honestly for your life. James says, God clearly is not the source of our temptation, but he's our great aid in beating it. We're to draw wisdom from God. Paul says this differently. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul reminds us, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you are facing temptation now, I want you to hear, God is not the cause of your struggle. Rather, he's the help that you need to find your way through it. Reach out to him. One of the ways you can reach out, I want to tell you about something that every Thursday in our church, we run a a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It's here live in person in this room, but it also runs on a digital platform, uh, Zoom, uh, and you can log into it every Thursday evening. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry that helps us as as we come to terms with and find healing for our hurts. It's a ministry that helps us when we get hang up, hung up on something and you can't seem to work past that thing. It's like that thing that happened, just you can't get past it. Celebrate Recovery is helpful there too. But, but Celebrate Recovery is also helpful. So hurts, habits, and the third one, so hurts, hang-ups, and habits as well. It's a ministry to help us break free from sinful patterns in our lives. For some of us, Temptation has grown up in our lives to the place where it is strong and it is dominating our lives and you need help to break free. And I want to point you today to celebrate recovery on Thursday night. It is a safe place where you can get help from God in a confidential, safe community. If that's you, log in online Thursday nights. You can see all the details. In our, in our church Facebook page, or arrive in person and come and serve notice on that snake that's cruising around your house in your cupboards at night while you sleep, waiting for the moment of vulnerability to pounce on you. And the last one is the Christian response to sin, guys, is repentance. Repentance is this, for, for a long time, maybe sounds like this, this Terrible word, repent. No, no, repentance is the most beautiful gift that you and I have. That we get to take our sin and we get to bring it to Christ and we get to let it die there as we receive forgiveness and are made whole. The greatest gift to me and you is that I don't have to carry the stuff with me. It gets to die with Christ on the cross and new life comes to me. We are a church who believe this, who live in this. 
And so let's hear James's words today. But please hear them again. This is not so that you can make it in. This is because you are a child of God who now you're appropriating what Christ has done in your life as the residue of sin gets less and less and less every day until ultimately Christ takes us home and we are fully, uh, fully redeemed in his power. Can I pray for us? And let's worship. Let's stand, let's stand together. Let's do business with Jesus. God, in some ways it feels like these words are not just written to James's context, but they're written to our context thousands of years later, God. For some of us, we are right now facing temptation. For some of us, hey, we've gone long, long past uh, experiment and we're into to, to, to committing and living in that thing. And God, just hearing the strength of James's words today to us. That this thing leads to death. It leads to our destruction. And that, God, you want, as you said in verse 12, you want to bring us to life. You want life for us, God. We want to serve notice. I'd imagine there'd be some in our, in our number today who want to say, okay, this far and no further, this thing needs to die. I don't know what that thing is in your life, but, but that snake is cruising around in the, in the, in the house of your heart. And, and, and you hear James's words say, hey, this is not just a thing that to just forget about and ignore. Actually, this is dangerous. And it needs to die. And Jesus, in you, we have the means to not, to not have that thing live on. To have that thing dealt with and, and eradicated from our lives. To, to not be the same people that we are this moment, but to be transformed into your likeness, God. And so let me, let's stand prayerfully before Jesus and let's ask the question, God, if Satan were to tempt me now, where am I most vulnerable? Maybe it's further than temptation, you've already succumbed. What is that thing that is just eating away at your relationship with God? It's eating away at your confidence in Him. This thing is just gnawing away at your secret self. And today you say, no, no, I have a gospel identity. I don't have a moralistic one. I don't, I don't have to keep pretenses up. No, no, I, I'm not accepted because I'm perfect. I'm accepted because I'm in Christ. And he died for my imperfections. He died for my sinfulness. I don't have to butter it up. I don't have to pretend that it's not there. I get to bring it into the light and have it dealt with so that I no longer need to live with it and carry it. I don't have to pass it on to my children as this thing lives in me. It gets to die with, with me in Christ. And new life comes through me into my personhood, in my character, my nature, and into my family through being in Christ. If that's you, won't you bring that to Jesus now? Father, I want to pray for those who right now are in the clutches of temptation. I pray you would put 
I pray you would galvanize their hearts, Lord Jesus, around the seriousness of sin and its path and its course in their lives, Lord Jesus. No, no longer kind of just uh, relativizing it or dismissing it or outsourcing it or blaming it on somebody else, but Jesus, to own and take responsibility and to say this far and no further. From a place of a secure identity in you, Jesus, from a place of being a child of God, loved and secure in you, Jesus. I pray for those right now who are struggling in the throes of temptation, Jesus, that you would provide the way out, that you would give them courage to invite a Christ-following friend into that space so they would not be alone anymore, Jesus. Come, Christ. Let's, let's worship together and, and, and do so. Remember, mindful, Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Let's trust him to minister to us now.